Hey guys, welcome to Film 7 Chit Chat, where we will be talking, discussing, and getting into the minds of creatives within the film industry. This time we have writer, director, and back crazy Rob Eiling, who is here to chat to us about his career, insights, and his upcoming film, Living in Crime Alley, a Batman fan film. So without further ado, welcome to Film 7, Rob. So glad you could take time out of your busy schedule. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, that's... Um yeah, sweet. Very sweet. Um, I thought it was yeah. quite fitting for you. It was very fitting. Um, and yeah, well, back crazy. I mean, I even wore my uh, Joker shirt. Uh, yes, in yes. In, in spirits. In spirits, yes. Before we get into it, I mean, there is a little film that came out recently. Joker. Yes, yes. Quick thoughts. Small indie the... film. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> little bit. Film, yeah. Um, quick thoughts for the fans out there. What you thought of it. Obviously, no spoilers. Of we course. don't know if everyone has seen it yet. Uh, but if you haven't, what are you doing? Um, I thought it was, yeah, what are you doing exactly? Stop, yeah, don't go and see Judy, go and see this. Um, Joker's incredible. I mean, in a nutshell, it's absolutely incredible. I, I found it to be a very haunting piece of cinema. And I walked out of it, so I, I watched it quite late. So I just got back from Manchester on a film shoot and it was 10.30 at night and I thought I was going to fall asleep, which I really did not want to do. So I, I got myself pumped, I got myself some coffee and everything and I'm... And I was shaking. I don't know if it was the caffeine in me or if it was just the... Th but generally speaking, I think it was the film because there is a lot of things going on with this film and it is very, very disturbing. But, ex you know, it, there's a level of expectation I think we all wanted. I mean, there is essence of other things we've seen in the past, but it is inc I th what I found amazing was just how fresh it all was. I mean, what did you think about the film? I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, very much like you, it's so fresh and original, even though it's a character we know so well. It was almost a completely different look at this character. Uh, and the fact that uh, what I loved most about this movie, and, and you can hear all this on Film 7's uh, Joker spoiler review, but the best thing I liked about this movie is that it kept you guessing throughout. And that the movie at the end of the day was so ambiguous, you didn't quite know what was real and what wasn't. Oh, God, yeah. Um... I mean, I think that's pretty much, yeah, you've summed it up there. I mean, what I also really liked about this film, because clearly this is a film made by a fan of somebody who's, who loves Martin Scorsese, like things like Taxi Driver, King of Comedy. If you haven't seen those films, by the way, those films are amazing. I'm sure you've seen them. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, King of Comedy, I think, is probably the bigger influence, maybe over Taxi Driver. Yeah, but, just about. Uh, I mean, you have the, I would say, the violent elements definitely comes from the Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny because you know a lot of people complaining about uh, the use the glorification of violence in this movie. Uh, after you've seen both movies, you will see that Taxi Driver is way more violent. I, I was just going to say I would say it's more violent, and yeah. you know this controversy about the violence and you know does the film go too far with the Joker this time? I mean, what were you expecting? It's the Joker. It's the Joker, exactly. It's you know he's a mass murdering psychopath, um, which in this case you strangely and maybe not so much so you do feel sorry for for at least at the beginning of the movie at least yeah for the f yeah at least for the beginning uh, you're right and yeah like i said it was just really haunting just to see this character go the way he goes and you know fair play to joaquin phoenix is he carries the f he's got such amount such a huge weight on his shoulders with this film but then he's got a great supporting cast i thought robert de niro was absolutely brilliant he was this. great he was great yeah. i think my only critique of the film was that i kind of wanted more De Niro. yeah true true i mean they use him enough 
Just about. I think I would have wanted a bit more, but yeah. hey, it, it is Joker after yeah, all. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in a way, it's because um, his character is very much somebody who's a, uh, he's a comedian, isn't he? Uh, yeah, and um, um, he's all about the spotlight. And yet, who have we got in the f- spotlight? We've got this character who is, well, frail and fragile and, you know, both physically and... But, my God, his physical transformation... It's something else. I mean, I think he should win the Oscar alone for that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like... It was almost like watching The Machinist again. But yeah, with Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, with Christian Bale. And because you do see, I, I, again, it's not to give anything. Character. Yeah, it's a yeah, Very again, sick. A, and uh, you could see it in, like, I don't know if you, as well as if you saw um, the behind the scenes videos that came out of, I, of uh, Joaquin Phoenix trying to get in the moment. Mm. Now, I think it's been clarification that that was now doctorated and stuff like that. But at the same time, you heard reports that uh, he was difficult to work with at times. I mean, I think fair enough. It seems like a really intense film. He, mm. I think he put himself through a lot uh, to get inside the mind of this character. So I can understand why at times he may have outbursts on set. I mean, look, it's it's a very difficult film to make. And this is a very fragile, difficult character to bring to life. I mean, we've had now Romero, Leto, Nicholson and Ledger all bring cinematic portrayals to the... Um, we shouldn't obviously forget Hamill, of course, but... Obviously, that's animated series, animated but series. in a way, he does bring a cinematic aspect to the character. Yeah. Absolutely, and you've got Master Phantasm, which, of course... Yeah, yeah. Am- but, you know, point valid. But to bring something incredibly fresh and is it was always going to be very difficult, and at least he didn't do what Leto did, which was completely go beyond ridiculous in my opinion which was you know sending cast members like you know do you hear about yeah this? yeah so, sending them pieces of dead animals and yeah, things like and, that yeah you know th- things like that to going too far you know as long as because even phoenix himself i think he has said because i haven't seen any of those behind the scenes stuff because i've tried to avoid everything i can about this film just because you know i wanted to lower my expectations but at the same time set expectations to the point where i didn't want to so i only watched the trailer like once Right, okay. And the same with uh, Endgame as well, because I didn't want to go in going, oh, yeah, fan theories or guessing game or whatever. And, you know, we can have those discussions or whatever. But I just wanted to go in just completely fresh, you know. And it's always hard as, you know, as we are comic book fans, you know, we re- we've read about this character for so long. He's been around, you know, next year he'll be around for 80, 80 years. years. And obviously Batman's been around for 80 years now. You know, I sometimes you just want to just go in and go, let's see what more what's 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 new mm-hmm. you know and yeah i don't know what, what, what I can really yeah say. i mean it's, i think it's yeah. definitely a winner for dc and warner brothers and i think they should Huge win definitely carry on in this vein and explore projects like this oh absolutely because this is i mean this isn't so much of a spoiler but it, this is very much its own thing yes definitely people should walk in thinking this is its own thing. Basically, Do not forget, have it connected. Yeah, forget everything you know about DC and Batman and Joker. Yeah. Basically, and just see it as a film. Yeah. Right, so speaking of films, let's talk about your films and your life. Yes. My friend. <laughs> uh, so you obviously are writer, filmmaker, director. Mm-hmm. Any other accolades you like to? Would you? Are you a producer as well? Would uh, you yeah, say? Yeah, I do produce as well. Um, with this film in particular, I have produced. Um, and that's living in Crime Alley. That's living in Crime Alley. But I've also produced um, the other short films I've done as well. Um, sometimes with other people as well. But um, yeah, so it's 
<laughs> do the triple threat. Really. The triple threat. Yeah, the triple threat. So what was your first movie watching experience and or Batman experience? They could have maybe coincided. Mm -hmm. And how did it sort of affect you? Whether like, did you have two different movie experiences and Batman experiences or was it melded into one? Uh, so I guess I should kind of answer them both into one really, which is, um, so when I was really young, I had my first exposure to cinema when I was like five, I'd say. And the first film I ever saw in the cinema was actually Toy Story, which I think is probably the best film you could probably go and see as a first film. It's a anyway. great opener, yeah. It's a great opener. I mean, and at the time I, I was dealing with a very difficult situation in which my father was very ill. And in the space of 11 days, I went from knowing that my father was uh, dying of cancer. And then at the halfway point, he took me and my mum to go to the cinema and we watched um, Toy Story. And for 81 minutes, I completely forgot that he had cancer. And I was on this adventure with Buzz and Woody and, uh, and my family were there to enjoy that experience for me. And then, you know, I didn't say as a five-year-old, I want to be a filmmaker. But I was like, what is this? You know, like this excitement, this, you know... I can't believe I'm happy despite the fact that there's all of this going on. And then at day 11, he passed away. So he'd been diagnosed um, and then he died 11 days later, which was a I'm huge shock. No, it's, it, it, it is what it is. Thank you. But it's, it is what it is. And unfortunately, I hate saying it like that, but that's that's life, unfortunately. That's quite fitting for the Joker, which is, again, not too much to spoil that, but that's life. And with... With that, I realized in the space of those 11 days, one, life is short. Um, you have to make it count. And also that the power of storytelling, what it can actually do for an audience, it can actually take you away from a dark time and actually uh, take you somewhere completely different. And around that time as well, I discovered Batman. I read a comic which I purchased, well, really my mum purchased for me, but... Um, in a shop because I wa was watching at the time the animated TV series um, and I absolutely adored the series. I, you know, I used to buy the little comics that I used to have in the shop and everything else and then eventually I got myself an official one and I read this amazing story. It was actually, so I've made no secret of saying it on my um, social media feed that Fatal Wish, the Batman 430 um, issue, was the first issue I, uh, I read and it's actually funny enough the issue after uh, the death in the family, which is when he loses the second Robin, uh, uh, Jason Todd. Yeah. And it's about dealing with loss and it's about dealing with um, regret and also dealing with um, a mistake. And again, I'd go out and search for it and it's an amazing read. And I guess those two things just melding together and someone funny enough, and I'll answer this question fully as I have now, but with another thing that someone asked me recently, which was, why Batman? Why this character of all the superheroes? And the one thing that we have in common is that we have used um, a traumatic event, but used it as our strength to build ourselves to be better than we are and can be. So I could have let that completely destroy me and, you know, let me be frail and, you know, but I actually let my father's death actually not give, you know, bring me down. I actually realized at that point, no, do you know what? This has happened. I can be bigger than this. I can go forth and actually become better. Very much like what Bruce did. He lost his parents and he became bigger and better 
because of it. He made it's, it a strength. It's basically the choice. You made the choice and you became Batman. If you made the opposite choice, you would have become the Joker. In many ways, yeah. yeah. There's that yin and yang between yeah. them. It's a very drawn out answer, I know, but that's just honestly how I feel about it. So now that you've, sorry, you, you started with Toy Story and then you worked your way into Batman, at what point did you sort of decide, okay, filmmaking is the thing I want to do? Was there any particular piece of film or was there any point in your life or a moment in your life that was like, this is what I want to do? Well, funny enough, I started out um, training to be a cartoonist. Uh, so I'm actually a trained cartoonist. I uh, trained with a, a cartoonist named Hugh J. Davis, um, who works with Marvel and DC and Disney. And um, he taught me pretty much how to be uh, a comic book artist. And from there, I just thought, because I also loved the Wallace and Gromit movies. I loved um, Aardman, the plastic animation. And I wanted to get into that originally. And then from there, I just, I realized the process was so long and drawn out. And don't get me wrong, I still love animation, but it's such a time consuming process that I wanted to start making films where I could just go, you know, right, I've done this and this and this, it will only take me a year. Whereas with animation, it can take years, mm -hmm. several years. And uh, I learned that very early on with my very first short film, which was uh, a plastic animation film, which took me seven months to complete overall for a 90-second film, which was time-consuming, um, as as it suggests. But, you know, I loved the end result, and I shot it on Super 8 as well, which is why it was also very time-consuming as well. So cutting, you know, that's what I really miss about editing, actually, is when you get the nitty-gritty, you know, the glue on your fingers and the cutting and stuff. And it sounds quite disgusting but actually I, I love that um <laughs> the practicality now, uh, of it yeah the practicality of it and i think that's something that um i should try and because uh, i also teach as well i try to teach my students now is that you shouldn't treat you know technology that you're doing right now so you know the techno uh, digital technology is you know um so easy in terms of cutting and everything you should learn backwards you should learn the practicality of things first before going into the i don't want to say easier the way of putting things because but, but it not, is though in a it way is it is easier it is, yeah. Way, yeah um but I'd say the moment for me where I decided to jump to live action was um, pretty much when I got to the end of college and I realised... Um, so what year was this? I would say it, this was around 2008. and Okay, so just, just in the year The Dark Knight came out. It's funny you say that because for me, The Dark Knight was... So I was, I was 17 years old when I saw that film and it was at the BFI IMAX. And it was intended, obviously, to be seen in the IMAX. You've got that opening scene with the, with shot on seventy. The bank robbery, yeah, it's yeah, so and, good, yeah. and it's iconic. It's now it's an amazing piece of cinema. And I think at that moment I realised, wow, here's a film that's actually bringing together the two things I love: cinema and and Batman, and doing it in a way which has. Or an organic relationship between the two things, and it melds it together so well to the point where it's not just a great comic book movie, it's not just um, a great crime movie, but it's just a great cinematic experience. And then you can do that absolutely with animation, but I realised that if I can do that, you know, with the people that I know, because I knew a lot of actors at the time, and I knew a lot of people that were filmmakers at the time. So if I could surround myself with them and actually learn more about how to, to, to create live action drama like that, you know, then maybe I can add something to that history of it as well. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to bring 
something completely fresh to audiences and I have something to say. Yeah. And with Living in Crime Alley, I definitely have something to say with that film. Cool, cool. So at the beginning of your career then, when you decided, right, I've, I've seen The Dark Knight, I've seen this experience, what were the, now that you've started, what were the first roadblocks starting out? So where, where are you originally based when you were started starting out and stuff? Were you in London or in... Yeah, so I was based in uh, East London. Um, uh, so I was living in uh, Walthamstow, but I was going to school in Chingford. And uh, I was basically jumping fat, uh, backwards and forwards between Walthamstow, Chingford and um, like central London as well to go to like night classes or just, just to learn anything I could about cinema and uh, live action filmmaking. Because like I said, I was in the time, I was just learning a lot about animation and stuff, which to me still is a vital piece of of my filmmaking craft because I started out as a storyboard artist. Mm -hmm. So I went from storyboard artist, uh, concept artist, um, to then working in the camera department as a first AC. And um, with with that, I then got a really good uh, gig at, uh, after I graduated university on the TV program Skins, uh, which is when, so I moved to Bristol when I was 18. And I came to Bristol to study film at uh, UWE. Yeah, so I studied um, film studies at um, UWE, and uh, I learned so much there, like in terms of film and filmmaking, and even further about what um, cinema can do. Because I mean, with film studies, you're basically learning about the history of uh, films and. Uh, you're studying the philosophical and theoretical theories around, you know, certain ideas that films bring, especially with Hitchcock movies as well. Like Vertigo, you know, I I remember watching Vertigo and thinking, well, it's just basically about a guy following a girl and then falling in love with that girl. But then you realise even further the contextual meanings of what that film's trying to do. You start to rip that film apart, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, which then got a lot of people annoyed, uh, especially my family, who uh, couldn't watch a movie with me anymore until I kept pausing and going, oh, continuity error. And then it got to that point where it was like, can you stop doing that? Or can you, oh, do you know that that actually means this? Or, you know, this is a philosophical meaning about this. Um, and funny enough, um, coming back to, uh, well, Dark Knight and Nolan, um, for me, top 10 movies of all time is Memento. Like for me, it's a huge movie for great me movie. to, yeah, great movie. And, you know, do you lie to make yourself happy? What an amazing question to ask at the very, you know, midpoint, I should say, because it's not the ending because it's the midpoint. But uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, you need to go and check that movie out. Um, but again, the philosophical questionings that that movie brings. And for me, that was a huge moment watching that film. I think I must've been like 19 when I first saw uh, memento and i was like god this if film can do th th you know can be a puzzle like that you know then you know what else can we do with this medium and yeah so i i decided to explore even further about the um philosophy and um how uh, philosophy applies within film and that's what i basically did in my first year uh, third year of university and my thesis was actually on superhero movies and ph philosophy. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a superhero? What does it mean to be a superman? Or what does it mean to be a superwoman? And, you know, that brilliant question of, uh, or statement, I should say, of a hero can be anyone. And, you know, at the time, The Dark Knight Rises had just been released. And I remember... Um, I think it's even more um, prevalent in um, Into the Spider-Verse that came out recently. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a leap of faith. Um, and yeah, I totally agree um, that a hero could be anyone. In, uh, do you know what? That's such an amazing line. 
um, a hero can be anyone, even as simple as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to say that the world hadn't ended. ended. And that that's for one me of my is, favorite lines in the whole trilogy. Yeah, same, same for me. And to me, that's what cinema is. That's how I would embody cinema. Like for me, it's I, I say to people sometimes that I'm just addicted to cinema. Like I go twice a week, sometimes three times a week if I get a chance. Because when I feel sad, I go. When I feel happy, I go. When I feel really crummy, any, any, any feeling, really, any feeling, um, I just go. Like even when I went and go uh, saw Joker, I was so exhausted. I was so, like my whole body could have just said to me, "Do you know what? Just go home and just rest up." But I didn't, and I went and saw it because I was like. No, this is the one film I've wanted to see for almost two years because when it was announced, like, yeah. 2017 or 2016, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And you're waiting a long time for a movie like it, and then you're just thinking, I hope I haven't been waiting for completely something we've seen all before or whatever, but to bring it something completely fresh, well, yeah. But that's what it means to me, and that's what I want to bring back to the audience. I want to, and coming back to the beginning of, like, uh, being a five-year-old, I want to bring that experience back to somebody and say, <laughs> you know... It's, you know, you may be suffering, but actually th this piece of cinema or this piece of art form it can express something to you and you can have something to say with it and you can take something from it. A piece of knowledge, as it were. You know, they say in philosophy with um, Plato's cave theory, you walk into a dark cave and at the end of it is a bright light at the end of the tunnel. That, to me, is what cinema is. It's, um, it's a piece of knowledge that you gain at the end of the tunnel once you've experience something even if it's the worst movie you've ever seen you've like, still experienced something you've still experienced something like i can't believe i'm saying this but if it's an adam sandler movie yeah it's going to be a piece of garbage but you've experienced something and you know by the end of it you've learned it's your definitely lesson. something yeah, like. yeah it's definitely <laughs> something you've learned not to watch something as like bad as that again. yeah exactly <laughs> um whereas or if you've watched something like joker you've learned that society can let you down so like we're at the point of where you're in uni now mm. um was it before or during or after uni where you actually made your first feature? Um, and did you go into it being wanting to be a director or writer or both from the get-go? When you mean first feature, you mean first short film as in... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so my first live-action short was actually an art experimental piece because it was just like, you know, what it was modulated to do, to do. They said, um, we want you to start art experimental to kind of just express, you know, whatever and then you can ease your way into the drama thing. So my first kind of sh short live action piece was a film called like um, How People Never Die, which again was almost like a reflection of everything that I've you know spoken about now, how you know cinema is about um, creating these images that will never ever go away. Um, and once you embody that, you know, like you bring something, in. it was very pretentious, let me just put it that way. <laughs> uh, and then um, from there, uh, I made uh, my superhero movie short film, which was my thesis, um, which basically explored the question of um, what does it mean to be a superhuman rather than necessarily a superhero? Um, so it's almost like an anti-hero piece, um, mm -hmm. which I'd like to adapt into a feature film someday um, because the short was fine. <laughs> okay. You know, you're limited to student film budget. Yeah. You you know exactly what I mean Especially when I say Especially if that. you're trying to make a superhero film. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, trying to make it for 500 quid was very ambitious, can, even yeah, for me. I can imagine. You know, two locations, but still 500 quid. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. Um, but then from there, um, it got me good enough to get a decent grade to come out of university with um, high honours. And then uh, from there, I got into film school. Uh, so I, I trained at Ealing Studios 
And uh, there I studied my master's in film directing. And from there, pretty much, it was almost like a firework just lit off. And I was, you know, I was, you know, soaring. I just wanted to keep going in the right direction. And there I was being able to experiment. I was able to work with uh people in the same position as me who wanted to just who were hungry to keep going and learn more and to this day i still collaborate with them you know they're close friends and collaborators and um so i went from doing i did a lot more art experimental stuff and i think that's a good way to kind of um start off just by being experimental and then jumping into the drama uh, aspect of things. So whether or not you want to go into comedy or drama, for me, always start out in experimental and then try and touch a bit of animation as well because, again, they're all elements of craft there. Mm -hmm. Animation is a much more fragile craft because you've got to be so delicate with things because one slight, you know, disproportion, you've lost the movement, as mm -hmm. it were. You know, one frame out of place and you've lost your audience. It's almost like the sound design. I mean, I know you so do. Yeah, sound design, yeah. Yeah, you you can lose the audience in one split moment if there's one little slight crackle or one little sound piece. You just, you you notice these things. And sadly, audiences are getting smarter. They are. So they're starting to see those mistakes. Mm -hmm. They're also starting to see, and even some of the best films ever made, you you look back and go, wow, this film won best sound design or something. Because you, you hear those little mistakes At now. At the time, it was though. Yeah, like... no, there was no mistakes. And, you know, I, I was having an argument with somebody the other day. So just to briefly go off go, one go, thing. Go for but it. literally someone was saying, oh, the Superman movies, you know, they're so outdated. I said, but dude, look at what they were doing at the time. Like if you looked, if you went back in time and you saw how, you know, it was on the poster, you'll believe a man can fly. fly. You, you, you did. You did. In 1978. Eight. Yeah. Eight, yeah. You Chris, did. Yeah. And that's what makes Chris Free's performance so remarkable in that film is that he, the way he takes off, it's absolutely phenomenal. And the way that they were able to do that, when they had to invent basically a new camera to, in order to make you believe Superman can fly. And I still think even now it's, still holds up yeah there's a little bit of stuff here the and there is, but what i always say to people that yeah the, the effects might be dated but it's the message behind this movie that mm. it never has an expiry date you yeah know, you know the the themes in that film don't die like it's, no. it, it's yeah so let's stick with superman but on the opposite side yeah. batman of course your film living in crime alley yeah where was the first inspiration for this film? Was this something that you'd always wanted to do and it's just in the back of your mind? Um, or is this a fairly recent thing and like it just popped up? You're like, let's do this. So, um, so just to, to, to track back Small a little question bit. Small question there. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a, just to track back slightly. It was I had just um, finished the film festival circuit of uh, my film that I'd uh, done at film school, which was um, Listen to Me. And it was a very hard-hitting film. It was a domestic violence film. And I realized by then I'd kind of found my groove as a director, which is drama, but also being willing to adapt to kind of dark comedy as well, which that film doesn't kind of delve into. But the the next project I did after that was, which was uh, Dream Was Black. I did uh, episode four for that series. And I found that my strength was in visual storytelling. And at the time I was reading a lot of, Batman graphic novels. I mean, I've, you know, I still did. I, I say uh, at the time I was, I was just about reading. I was reading them. <laughs> never stopped. <laughs> and never stopped. Um, and I always found, you know, Batman to be a very cinematic piece, obviously with Dark Knight and uh, the 89 Batman movie. And, you know, I'm just obviously such a huge fan. And when I got to the end of the festival circuit in 2017 with uh, Listen to Me, so it done really well. Like we'd, we'd screened for about two years. 
And then I got to that point. I'd made some small short films here and there, you know, 60-hour film challenges, but I I wanted to know what was the next big thing I was going to do. And I couldn't think of anything. And I got stuck. I got into a really bad creative hole. And it didn't also help that at the time I was not doing financially well. I was a freelancer and I wasn't doing um, as well as I could have done. And the only thing that was there was obviously cinema was there and, you know, the comics were there and I was, you know, had certain family members and everything else. Um, But I just felt stuck. I was like, well, I found, I thought I found my groove, but where, what's the next big creative thing? And then I was still struggling to write my first feature film, which I'm still um, developing. It's in a really good place right now, but it's, you know, we're still at a point where hopefully this film will kick off and, you know, make something Mm -hmm. to help me boost that anyway but i just didn't know what to do but then the worst thing happened which was i got made uh redundant uh from the so i got myself a full-time job at a company i was there for about a couple of months and then i got made redundant um which was terrible it'd been the second time in my life that i'd been made redundant from work and then uh my mum got made redundant so Yeah, so financially it was the worst time and I was also feeling creatively terrible. And then one evening, I basically was in my room and I just said, do you know what? I need to keep busy. And I think at the time I was just re-watching a lot of the Batman movies and I was reading the comics and then eventually something happened. I just started writing. And this story came out about a father trying to provide for their child in a city with no hope. And at the time I was living back in Leytonstone, which to me, which unfortunately is a rundown uh, area in, in East London. And, um, you know, it's, it's famous because Alfred Hitchcock was born there. Mm-hmm. Um, great filmmaker. And yet, you know, um, all the crime and all the poverty and all the, you know, the worst of the worst that you can think of, it's there in Leytonstone and I'm there in that surrounding and I don't know, it just kind of embodied that into the writing and it was it was almost the kicker for me to kind of get into gear and I just started writing and then when I woke up the very next morning, I, I'll be honest, I couldn't remember writing a lot of it. And I woke up and I realised, oh, this is actually pretty good for a first draft. And then I just kept writing. And then several weeks later, I submitted it to a friend who... Uh, is a very close friend of mine. He's a screenwriter, and he said, "Dude, this is this is great. You should submit this to a couple of festivals." So I did, submitted it to a fan fiction um, festival back in 2017, and it won the best screenplay, and it was performed in New York, which was amazing. Nice. I I was really overwhelmed by that, and I had the opportunity to go down, and I couldn't financially do it at the time, and I was gutted because I would have loved to have gone down to see it performed. I would have loved to have met the organizers and I would have ultimately loved to have met the person who, uh, I won't mention the person's name, but they they judged the the film and they were a former editor at uh, a comic book company. Mm-hmm. They, they'd worked at DC and they'd worked at Marvel and they honestly said that this was good enough to be published as a Batman story, like a one-off piece. And I just thought, 
for someone who has grown up with this character and feels so strongly about storytelling and hearing that from that person was an amazing, amazing feeling. And then I told them, and well, I, then I asked them, well, can we get it published? And they went, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and obviously because I'm not well known and everything, and yeah. Yeah, it made sense. But they then suggested at the time, why don't you make this into a fan film? Because I'd written it in a screenplay format. And then I just thought, are you crazy? Like, I, I can't make this. It's a, it's a Batman movie, you know? I can't really do this. And I put it off for about a, about a year and a half because I was in denial. Because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'd need to go off and make proper things, you know, proper original things. I can't, you know, use someone else's material and, you know, just, do, you know, do whatever, you know. People kept saying to me at the time, you know, when are you going to come up with the next big thing and everything else? And I thought what I was doing at the time, so I'd made a short film which did really well in the 60-hour film challenge circuit and everything else. And I just, I wanted to see what more I could do. And again, I was in denial. And there was other th- personal stuff that was going on at the time which I didn't know Um was really a big factor in all of this. And then in 2018, in October time, um, this time a year ago, I got accepted into the Fan Film Awards for Best Original Screenplay for the, for Living in Crime Alley. And it was in Los Angeles. And at that point I went, do you know what? I'm in a better financial position. I got this full-time gig as a film uh, as a filmmaker of a creative agency, which is where I work in London. I'm not gonna let that go away. Because I want to be able to say that the first time I went to Los Angeles, around the time of my birthday, and I had a Batman script entered into a film festival. And the reason I was going there was because of that reason. And I just thought, what an amazing thing to say. And that's what I did. And then in late December of that year, I had so many people, like one of my friends who's just been accepted into the London Film Festival, and other people as well, other my friends, and they were saying to me, you, you idiot you've got this amazing script. Why aren't you making this script come to life? Because it is all about you. Yes, it's Batman. Yes, it's this. Yes, it's that. But this is you on a page. You want something that makes you, you? Make this film. And again, I just realized, do you know what? Yeah, you're right. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Let's make this film. And in December of 2018, I decided that Living in Crime Alley was going to be my next big short film. And here we are now. Here we are now. That's, that's what a process that must have been. So that, so what's that? That's uh, two, three years? Pretty much, yeah. Two, three years since the first sort of inception of it. Yeah, pretty much. And just being completely, like I said, in denial. Just like, because I think, I don't know how you feel about this, but like when people would say, oh yeah, you're making a fan film, there's such a negativity about there, it. There is a, a negativity about it, yeah. yeah. But I don't see why, because, and this is, and I've got no problem saying this, I have spent a lot of money making this film, and it's giving back to the audience. Mm-hmm. It's a huge amount of respect, if anything. I mean, yeah, I don't own the intellectual property, but if DC were to come around to me and say, you know, you know, what are you doing with this? And th- I would actually say, well, look, I'm not making any money off this at mm-hmm. all. I'm just, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. Just that trying to tell a story. Just trying to tell a story. And a, to- a story that means something to me, it means something to you, it means something to others out there. You know, we've all been in a financially difficult situation. We've all been in a situation where we've got to provide not just for ourselves and for others and, for, you know, for kids. Mm-hmm. And to live in an environment which is terrible, really. And... 
yeah, that's pretty much what Living in Crime Alley is. It's not just a film for the audience, but it's just a conf- it's it's a confession. Mm-hmm. It's a confession about what I love about um, film, about what I love about this character of Batman, but it's also a confession about the human condition. Because I think you'll agree, I, I don't know, but like for me, I don't really see this as a Batman film. No, definitely. I mean, Batman is, can I? Can we say on the yeah, show you can say, that yeah, you know, Batman's not really in the film, is he? Not really, no. Yeah. He just not until the last bit of the film. Yeah. So yeah, it's primarily a story about two people, a father and a daughter. Yeah. Trying to survive. Trying to survive, which is what us regular folks go through every day, pretty much. Yeah. And that's why that's why when you sent me that script, I found it so powerful because it felt like it fit inside the universe of the Batman animated series specifically, mm-hmm. but at the same time it felt like its own original piece. So I, I wanted to actually go to that. So what did you do to try to keep things fresh with it? What to subvert the process and stuff for that? Is there any and like did you draw an inspiration from any particular comics or films? I mean, you said that you're heavily inspired by uh, the animated series. Yeah, absolutely. I think when people ask me that question, I think the big key one I do say is, do you want the animated series? Like there is one episode in particular which I think stands out as kind of an underrated episode because I think there's a lot of bits in it that are, don't quite work or just hold up because there's... Anyway, um, and it's the Appointment in Crime Alley episode. Great episode. I thought I think it's a really good episode. I think it's a wonderful episode. Um, obviously, the scene where... You've the, got Leslie Tompkins in yeah, there. Leslie yeah, Leslie Tompkins, and you've got uh, Roland Daggett in there. and But it's all about survival. It's a it's an episode about survival in, in Park Row and what that street, well, that, that area of Gotham means. And obviously the tram sequence is, you know, there just to add some action. Yeah, That's, you've got to have that. Yeah. You've got to have that. It's a 22-minute episode and you need to keep the action fresh and everything. So to me, that's the only thing that stands out as a sore thumb. But, you know, that's the smallest thing about it. But the idea of, you know, the rich taking over this area and basically demolishing it because it's, you know, it's just seen as a waste of space of Gotham now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's that wonderful line that Leslie says, good people lived here once. And Batman or Bruce responds while placing the roses down, good people still live in Crime Alley. Mm-hmm. And I always found that really inc- like powerful. And that, for me, was a very key essence of what living in Crime Alley, for me, was. It's about flawed characters or humans who just want to do the right thing and provide and survive again there's that word again survival it's probably the big key theme of this and of course uh, justice is going to be addressed within it as well because but to keep things fresh i think the big key thing is just not focusing on on batman it just so happens to be a... He's in there. Yeah, he's in there. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> I think people have been like concerned. Is Batman actually in this? No, he is. And, um, uh, well, I, I showed you earlier. Um, we have got a trailer that we are planning to release soon. And Looks great. Thank you very much. And you can confirm he is... He's in the movie. He's in the movie. There so he is, old Batsy. He's there. And, um... Yeah, I think the big key thing was to keep him, use him sparingly, because I think there are times when he's overused, mm-hmm. um, yep. not just... A, with this, it was about, um, you know, these are uh, Gothamites. This is a Gothamite story. This is a story about um, these characters living in, in the worst place in Gotham and where heroes... Well, not a lot of people know this, obviously, but where the hero was born. 
you know, he was born in that alley. In that alley, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's that. Um, keeping things fresh as well. The fact that it's short. I mean, I don't know if that's really a, you know, that we com- we compact a lot in the space of five minutes. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on in this story in the space of um, five minutes. And I think for me as an audience member, I think that's, I, I want to get my, my money's worth, or in this case, I want to get my mm-hmm. fan films, you know, free. <laughs> I want to get, you know, Did a you, lot for my... How difficult was that to do that, to tell all this story in such a short, short space of time? Was that a struggle for you? Did you have to take things out maybe? Did at one point it got too long? I think the very first draft, as I remember, was about nine pages. And I think the only things that I just took out were just things like fillers, you know, like, oh, let's... Because it was originally a spend-off across like a uh, like a week. Mm-hmm. So you basically see a routine of this and this and this and this and this. And then I just realised, no, actually cut all that uh, fat and just stick it into the moment. Because mm-hmm. as, as, as audience members, we want to be within the moment and we want to stay within the moment of these characters as much as we can. You know, whether it's a character study piece where we can, you know, explore an entire year with them or to me, this is a character study piece, which you're just stuck within the moment with them. You follow these two characters in the moment like there's so again, without going into spoiler territory, you you have two different perspectives on this whole, you know, this whole evening. And um, yeah, it was it was difficult at first, but um I don't want to say it was easier as it as the drafts went on because I think it was just, you know, when you're watching other things or you're reading other things, cause when you read a, you know, a standard comic book issue, they pack in a lot in the space they of do, a couple in of the pages. Space of what, twenty two pages, I think a Ex- comic is yeah. exactly. So for me, I kind of looked at that as kind of like a formatting thing of, well, if they can pack so much in those issues alone, then maybe I can do the same with, with this short film. And I think it's more powerful to have. Um, a film that packs a lot in and is cohesive and you don't have to worry about the time frame like mm-hmm. that's the problem I think that's one of the pr- probably issues that we have with movies nowadays that when people think oh because a movie's longer it means it's it means it's automatically going to be better yeah. yeah like Endgame for example is three hours and one minute which to be honest with you let's be completely honest with you the one minute is just to add all the VFX artists yes. alone pretty but, much yeah yeah but you know, it packs a lot of stuff in uh, the space of three hours. But then I would say that actually, Infinity War is probably more more cohesive, and yet it's a shorter movie. Yeah, that's two forty two, I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And yeah, it's um, so, so on that level, it's um, yeah, a difficult. Uh, it was difficult, but um, I remember you were saying before about the other influences and stuff. I just wanted to mention as well that for me, as much as I. Uh, uh, I love the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I would say the practicalities of certain things and the the reality of things is kind of the core thing within that. But I wouldn't say it's the biggest influence, but I would say the art direction. I mean, again, you've seen the trailer, you've seen the imagery. The Burton verse. Yeah, you're, you're tying, you're going in the late 80s, early 90s era. Yes. For, aesthetically, that's what I can see. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, people can see the, 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 the one of the shots of the film which is um batman looking over gotham and you can see it's the keaton cal because mm-hmm. there are certain limitations the long that ears and, yeah, yeah the long uh, for me i love the long ears mm-hmm. i know people love the short ears i mean for me adam west short ears yeah. um i don't mind affleck's short ears i, I no uh, affleck was 
was Frank Miller's Batman, of which, course, which yeah, he had the short ears. So yeah, let's get into that. Like wh- the actual start of production. Mm. What was the the process of starting that production? And like, that's the biggest question. You're like, yeah, I've got to make a bat suit. Yeah, <laughs> what was that process like? It literally was. Yeah, it was literally like the day, the very next day. So you're making a Batman film. What's the suit gonna look like? Literally just started sketching. So for me, again, my comic book artist background, I just did loads of sketches. And I, you know, I was going for quite outlandish designs at first. And then I thought, well, think about it, Rob. You've got, you know, you can afford to make your own suit, but try not to go uh, so far out of people's comfort zones. Because I think we just said this earlier, just before we went on the show, which was audiences are becoming more aware of the problems within films, like not just plot holes and everything else, but they are so nitpicky about things. Mm-hmm. They want to have something new, but they want something that is also relevant and they are used and to familiar, seeing. familiar, yeah. Yeah, familiar. AKA the Star Wars trilogy. So people want something new, but they want something the same. So they've given us The Force Awakens, for example. And then they want something completely different. And then we go The Last Jedi, which I love. And people are annoyed. Like the big Star Wars communities. And well, we had, with anything. we had a very similar situation with DC and Zack Snyder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, release the Snyder cuts. Yeah. Personally, I'm for it. I want to see that cut. And especially after that Manhunt, uh, Martian Manhunter reveal. Yeah, I mean, that, wow. that, what a bomb that was yeah. he dropped in us. That, I mean, it makes sense. It really makes it would sense. Make sense. It, oh, yeah. God. But yeah, with, um, with this, it was... Um, you know what? How can I bring something fresh but also keep it uh, familiar? So, you know, I've gone for the Keaton cow because, again, practically and financially, it is the only way we can go f- forth with it. So, you know, we've spent some money on the on the suit. We've got a very, I would say, uh, a traditional but also a fresh. Um, look in terms of its color palette as well. I, I would say. I mean, would you agree in that? Yeah, in the, yeah definitely. Oh, I should say you've seen the suit it, as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's from what I see, it's got an element of um, Michael Keaton, but you've also got a. I don't know. There's something about it that goes back to the first appearance. Yeah, the the original Bill Finger illustration. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and I would I definitely agree with that. And because we're at the 80th year. Yeah we can reference and honor this character because the big thing for me as well. And again, it's not a pure coincidence, by the way, that I'm making it this year, but it's a perfect celebration. I think of that character and what he's brought um, to us as an audience and to us as fans. And I don't want to make something which is going to piss off the fans. Sorry. I didn't mean to use that word, but I don't want to, I don't want to make something that's going to annoy the fans. Sorry. Which is, and also, I want to bring something completely fresh because people want something difficult fresh thing as well. to do. It is a difficult thing to do, and I'm not going to say I'm going to hit a home run with this mo- this film. The thing is, at the end of the day, no one will be, not everyone will be fully satisfied. Exactly, like, that's just the the truth yeah. with any piece of art. Exactly, but what I do hope people take from this film is that they have um, something that they can engage with, something that they can feel for. You know, gain a bit of knowledge by the end of it all. You know, go into the tunnel into this dark tunnel and then come out at the end of it with this bright light and they gain something completely new and they and they feel something and they have, you know, uh, something that they can take away from it all. Um, but when it came to the costume, it was um, several designs where I was like, too outlandish, too over the top, 
Um, let's think about the practicalities of it all. And again, that's where the kind of the Dark Knight trilogy stuff comes in, is that you want something that is practical, but also I love flamboyancy. Mm-hmm. And I, there I, is I, an I element of flamboyancy. Yeah. I mean, it is, at the end of the day, it is a guy dressed up as a bat. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, as much reality as Nolan in influenced those movies, this, the, the, there were still a lot of criticisms about those movies from mm. some diehard fans that mm. be like, it's too realistic. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, you know, Schumacher actually gave us a, a nice bit of flamboyancy, especially in Forever. I mean, <laughs> let's clarify. Batman and Robin goes too far. It, it does. It, it goes too For, far. Forever, you could... You could it still had the sort of seriousness of Burton mm. in some sense, yeah. but you could see the camp elements coming in. Absolutely. And can I just say as well, because we were talking about some of the Oscar stuff before, because I believe it was nominated for Best Cinematography. Batman it was, Forever. yeah, yeah. It's a gorgeous looking film. It is pretty. It's a beautifully shot film. And even the first opening of Batman and Robin, when he's chasing Mr. Freeze through that tunnel with the wind of the snow and the lighting of the blue... That's a beautifully shot sequence. It is. It's just too much like a toy commercial for me. That is unfortunately yeah. the the big problem we have with it as well, and as many as many things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once the suit was, because I think the big key thing that came out of all of this was if the suit doesn't work, this yeah. film won't work. Yeah, film won't work. Yeah. Because even if Batman's only in the film for the last, well, as I said, you know, the last couple of scenes. If he's if he doesn't feel believable to the audience, then everything else beforehand will be wasted, mm-hmm. and that puts more pressure on me to make sure that Vincent, okay, the father, um, doesn't lose you know his great performance, and I don't lose Bella's great performance, and she's an eleven year old girl, and there's more, you know, for me, there's more responsibility to make sure that she uh, delivers an incredible performance, which she does, by the way. Uh, so, I feel because you see this film is basically through her eyes is it not very much very much so yeah so what was it like on set when you actually went down on production uh what was it like working with the actors how rigorously did you stick to the script was it because i remember remember you told me you had a very limited time to shoot this thing did you pretty much have to go this is the script let's get this done and go or was there time for maybe a bit of improvisation, trying out different things? If you can believe this, we actually shot the entire film in a day and a half. Crazy. That's crazy. That's pretty, that pretty impressive, yeah. A, a five-page script in a day and a half. That and must have been a long day, though. <laughs> 7.30 in the morning to 1 o'clock the next day. And then uh, the, the night before was uh, 7 p.m. to 11.30. Mm. And, yeah, it was... It was a tiresome process, but it's the most fun I've had on a film set, on any of the films that I've done. I mean, so, I mean, for God's sake, I got to work with Batman. <laughs> I got to. Not many directors can say that. Not a lot of directors can say that. And, you know, I think Burton was in his late 20s when he made something like that. Yeah, yeah. and I'm in my late 20s and I'm making a Batman fan film. And, you know, and I, I have no problem saying it like that as well, that it's a fan film, because I do I say it as a fan film or it's a film. And I. You know, either way, it's a film, and and again, I'm giving back to the audience. So there you go. But on the day of uh, the day of filming, there was nerves. I was incredibly nervous because I'd felt like I'd been. I felt I was prepared, but I also felt underprepared, and I thought there were things that I could have improved upon in terms of like the actual overall production itself. But actually, we had been preparing from January this year till. September, which is when we shot it. We shot it on the 14th and 15th. Um, uh, 
And it was a very unique experience um, for everybody, I think. And, oh God, you should have been there when we brought out uh, Danny as as Batman. And the awe at that moment, because we'd been filming the scenes of the father and the daughter all day at that point. And we got to, I think it was like three or four o'clock and Danny was finally in the suit and he came out and everyone was just in awe. Sort of stopped what they did. Everyone yeah. just stopped what they were doing. And then at that moment I realized, because again, I was so, so self-conscious about whether or not this suit was going to work. And when everyone saw him there, I, I actually had a, like a, almost like a sigh of relief and just went, okay, it's going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work. And Working with the actors and sticking to the script. Uh, funny enough, we actually did improv. You know, so even you with the time, time for a little bit. Yeah, because I think it's good to keep things fresh. You know, one of the things I like to do is I storyboard the entire um, film, and you've seen the storyboards. They're mm -hmm. very much like comic book panels. Yeah. They are, you know, detailed. Well, they that's are... that's what I've always said. That's why I think sometimes comic books are a perfect medium to transcend into film. Because yes. they're, they're essentially storyboards. Yeah, and unfortunately, and I will bring this up because I will defend this now, that I think Martin Scorsese is wrong in saying that, you know, comic book movies yeah. aren't cinema because ultimately they are cinema because in a child's eyes, that's going to be their first exposure to cinema now. Like, see, you know, for them, it's going to be, you know, their heroes are on screen. Well, if and any kid... Yeah. 11 or under doesn't know a world without the MCU. Absolutely. Abs you know I mean? yeah, no, like absolutely agreed. Yeah. And I think it's unfair to say that, especially since he was originally going to be producing Joker as well. Yeah, well, it's, there were rumors. Yeah. yeah we don't know, yeah. do we? We don't fully know, but if that, if, you know, is the case or not, but I think it's unfair for him mm. to say a statement like that because then, you know, that's saying, that's like saying oh, Disney isn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, he did specify Marvel movies. He did, yeah. which again I think is unfair. And yeah. saying them they're they're like roller theme coaster, parks, yeah, yeah, theme parks. And you know, if they, to me, that's a hell of a the theme rider. If you say, if you ask me, but you know, I'd like to think that this is a piece of cinema, you know, or uh, a cinematic piece anyway. And um, yeah, like I said, I've worked with the actors. We worked to the script absolutely, but we like to keep things fresh with a bit of improv as well and you know sometimes an actor will do something subconsciously that they didn't know that they did and it changes you know either the story or the moment entirely and you just go do you know what gotta keep that in there i gotta keep that in there because it works because you don't say no one ever I, I love it when people say oh yeah i planned for that to happen no you didn't you didn't you didn't Nothing is ever planned so well to that point. Like even the taxi driver scene, to bring up Scorsese again with you talking to me, that's all improv by Robert De Niro. You know, it's not in this script. Mm -hmm. You look at the original script, it's not even there. It just says he stands in front of a mirror. You talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking to me? I'm the only one here. Yeah, it's it's an improv moment and it's a believable moment because it's honest and it's truthful. Mm -hmm. And that's well, we all you want. We see plenty of that in um, Heath Ledger's Joker. Exactly. There's a, there's a lot of improv there. That's so, uh, some of the best parts. Absolutely. And I would not be surprised if Joaquin Phoenix um, does the same because for me, that was key to all of, all of the productions I've done is I want to be honest and truthful. I want to deliver experiences each uh, and every time to an audience which is honest and truthful and raw, that they can take something from it and say, I gained something from this. I'm not saying that I, it's about a learning experience necessarily. Sometimes it could be, but it's about taking something away and seeing what 
else you know you gain something completely new and yeah i i i think with um living in crime alley i think the audience will be surprised um but ultimately satisfied fingers crossed anyway fingers crossed uh so are you you're in the middle of post production right now on the film we are in the middle of post production so yeah. uh it's not finished yet, but in terms of the actual shoot, is there anything you would have done differently at the time? Or do you think, no, I'm quite happy with how that all turned out and you're chopping away in the floor? I think the only thing that I would have improved upon is, um, so we do have one pickup just to get, it's a very small pickup. So one thing would be to get that. <laughs> um, but also, I think the only thing that I would only change was just to see how further we could go. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had a very tight schedule, as as I said. So only if you had more time. Yeah, basically. so only if, yeah, because I mean, but that's money for you. You know, it, with the Marvel movies, they probably have like weeks to spend on well, yeah. an action set piece or something like that. But when you're working on an I independent production. I mean, they production, plan reshoots. Yes, it's, of course. It's part of the budget now. Like, Yeah, exactly. That's very true. Um, maybe, uh, maybe a slight dig here, but maybe Justice League could have taken a picture of that. But, you know, it's, for me, it's, it was a wonderful experience working with three talented actors. And I, if anything, you can always learn something new with every production you do. But for me, this was a production which I had no regrets whatsoever. And, you know, with the crew as well, because we all said it was like a family. And the one thing that I would never change for in a heartbeat was the food. Like, cause I, we, we had a uh, Indian cuisine, like my nice. mum came down and she cooked this amazing meal. Oh, home cooked as well. Yeah. Home cooked meal and, you know, traditional Indian cuisine. And, you know, that was the best thing that everyone was saying. Like, do you know what? <laughs> it's cause there's always that thing of, you know, you work on a film set and, um, it doesn't matter whether or not the, the film is good or not. As long as the food is great, then you're happy. But, yes, um, that's, but that's very true for a lot of crew people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm hopeful that they loved the food but also they loved making the movie and from the most part everybody has turned around and said it was a unique experience so nice. i nice. uh i can't wait to show you guys seriously yeah, i can't I'm... wait to see it i mean it, it leads on perfectly to my next question which was uh we we I mean we touched on it briefly at the moment that um sorry what was the actor's name who played uh batman oh danny chase danny so when danny came on set full in batman uh clothing mm. Was that the best moment on set for you, or was there maybe another moment that you were like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this? Like, So one of the moments it involves Danny and also uh, involves Vincent as well. So Vincent hadn't seen the costume at all. The very first time he sees Danny in the suit, we had it. So, so we had the actors leave the room, and then Danny came on set. The crew were in awe. He hid around another area, and then um, we brought the other actors in. Um, we got Batman in position, but we had Vincent facing the other way. And as soon as he saw the shadow that was going on the wall, he was... I mean, I, I, it's weird to say because we haven't spoken about it since the, the filming. I mean, we've spoken to each other since, but we haven't spoken so much about the shoot. But the look in his eyes when he saw the shadow, I think, kind of said it all. It was, okay, this is real. This is really happening. That's Batman. Like. That's Batman, yeah. yeah. It's a very Batman moment as well to see a shadow. The shadow, the silhouette of The him. silhouette of him, yeah. yeah. And when he's finally, again, not to spoil anything, but when he finally sees him in the shot that we're using, it was amazing. Like, it was such an amazing moment because it was like, and I remember <laughs> I was looking back at the rushes and the first thing, is, so everyone was like, oh yeah, camera rolling, sound speed, everything else. And I actually said, good luck, everyone. 
And I didn't realize I said that because at that point of the day, we'd, we'd filmed so much. Mm-hmm. So it was like, this is it now. This is the, the first, the... the meeting of, and the, the, the appearance of Batman is here. And I didn't realize I said, good luck, everybody, but we didn't need it because it was there. And you knocked it out of the park. We knocked it out of the park with this moment. And, uh, and I remember we, and I said, <laughs> I said it like this. I said, and cut there. We then cut. And then I turned to Vincent. I said, father, meet Batman, Batman, father. And everyone applauded. Everyone just applauded because it was just a wonderful moment that we were just that like. Sounds like such a great experience. Like to to be there, I can imagine it would have been the feeling. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was because I'd see I'd been in this process of you know we're doing costume tests, we did like um, cape tests, we did, you know, can you actually physically move in this like thing? And again, with the Keaton cowl, he can't turn his neck <laughs> without so turning his shoulders. Without yeah. turning his shoulders, so he's got to do the bat turn. But it works in the context of the story that we're trying to tell and. Yeah, and then finally seeing it with all the prep that we'd done. And, you know, we said it from from 2017 to now on September to get to that shot and just look at it and go, oh, God, this is actually happening. This is this is it. And then all the hard work, all the hard work. And then literally to see it all come together in that shot and the crew applauding and everything. And then Vincent just turned to me and went, yeah, yeah, it works. Nice. I mean, it sounds like you had an awesome experience for the last two, three years, as we said, making this film. You're not finished yet, though. Mm-hmm. Knee deep in post production. But if there was, if you could do another story, whether that be another Batman story or a DC story or another character, would you want to do one? Is there another character you'd like to tell a story about, or maybe another Batman story? Or maybe even just turn this one into a feature, a full length. I think for me that, I mean... Or are you like, yeah, yeah. I'm out? Oh, no, 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 no. With, with, I mean, with comic book movies. Oh, God, no, no, no. I'm, this is just the beginning, my friend. This is just the beginning. I, I want to turn my own comic book creation into a film, first and foremost, um, which isn't affiliated with DC or Marvel, so it's going to be its own complete original thing. Um, I would love to make another Batman story. Um, and all I need to say is beyond. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's all I need to say. That's, and everyone will understand, but I would, I, you know, I remember saying to myself and uh, until I saw the film, God, I'd love to make a wonder woman film. And then Patty Jenkins made, in my opinion, she smashed it, she smashed it out of the park. And I, I, you know, and she made such a great. I don't think you could have made a better Wonder Woman movie in, in, the, in the essence of what Wonder Woman is and who she is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, she just absolutely smashed it. And I think, you know, I mean, the No Man's Land sequence alone Ugh. is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, so much better than anything I could have imagined my Wonder Woman film to have been. But, you know, that would have been one I would have loved to have done. But I think, you know, if there's any other character that I can think of that I would have liked to have done or, you know, would like to do, um, I wouldn't actually mind giving Superman a go because, do you know what? Why not adapt? Because if we've he, seen... He is, I think, I think he's actually one of the hardest superheroes for, to bring to modern audiences. You're absolutely right. However, if we've got stories like Joker where they're Elseworld stories and we're not affiliating with, you know, the DCEU or anything yeah. like that, 
let's bring all-star Superman to the big screen. Or if we're, if we're going to do a DC black sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would actually say Superman Red Sun. Or Superman Red Sun. Or Injustice, which, apparent, which I think maybe Snyder's... I think what, Snyder was going for that, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Superman Red Sun, because for me... I, as I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest expert of Superman by any means, but I do find him interesting in that he is essentially an alien, you know, an trying immigrant? to an immigrant. Ex- yeah, an immigrant trying to, you know, know what it means to be a human being. And you know, we've discussed this many times about you know the whole Jonathan Kent, you know, death and everything else. And you know, how do you deal with that? You know, you've lost now two father figures, and you know everything else. You know, and I would like to see uh, a Superman story, like maybe Red Sun, or more importantly for me, because I just I again. Star, th- I mean, I'll agree with you. All Star for me is the best Superman story. Yeah, I think that's been put to paper. You know, uh, mm. props to Grant Morrison. Yes, because it is just it's everything you hope Superman is, and the best bits about Superman all compiled into these twelve issues. Absolutely, and I think as well. The, as an as a huge Batman fan, and you know, I always say, yeah, Batman over Superman, everything else. That comic actually made me love Superman even further, mm-hmm. like because because uh, at that time I think I was more like I, I, think I was it, the same. Yeah. It made me realize how important Superman is, how important he should be to the overall DC universe, and also Batman as well. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent agree. And I would love it if someone were well, maybe me, but someone else to adapt that story. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other characters that I think would be really interesting. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think probably because of my dark humour that I like. And um, do you know what? I'll go out and say it. Give me Howard the Duck. I'll make Howard the Duck. That's happening. I, no, have you, have you, you seen that? Happen? It's happen- they're making... Uh, <sighs> it's uh, going to be a series on Hulu. <sighs> See, now... it's gonna And it's going to be uh, animated as well. Oh, of course it is. And See, rated, rated R. See, I... <sighs> See, you've got that character in guardians and yeah you have i had no idea he appeared in endgame yeah he was there in the the big <laughs> thing no yeah. idea until someone pointed out and i went <laughs> oh my god they actually got howard the duck in the final scene i just i think that's astonishing if anything that's the piece best piece of direction in that movie <laughs> yes. that is the best piece of direction well, i bet that was kevin feige you need to put this yeah guy in put there. the duck in there yeah. i mean i mean but yeah give me howard the duck and i would i would gladly try and make something out of that and you know, give it a comedic dark edge. Because if you watch the original of How the Duck, yeah, that is strangely dark as well. strangely dark. I'm not particularly a big fan of the movie itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But s- some of the st- themes and stuff, you're like, okay, this is a bit much at times. Even like, the opening with yeah. the... the, gu- the <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. The, the duck in the bathtub. Yeah. How you split, and it's a split second as well. Yeah, you're like... How did they get away with it's this? It's a weird one. It's a weird, well. Uh, what did that, when did that movie come out? Eighties. Oh, Eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been eighties. Yeah. So wow. have you got any other? So you got, hopefully, maybe one day do a Superman movie. Warner Brothers, I know you're listening. Give this man a job, please. <laughs> uh, but are there, have you got any other upcoming projects after you finish this one? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of actually making uh, my next thriller, uh, short film, which I hope to be. Getting in production uh, in late December. Uh, in late December, actually, and um, then hopefully a release of early next year, so maybe March time. But we'll have to wait and see. And then the other thing, of course, is this feature film that I've been writing for 
uh, the best part of four years now. And it's um, uh, it's a dark comedy. Uh, and f- I, th- I think the best way that I can sum it up is it, it, it takes a huge influence from uh, British gangster movies, 90s British cinema, and... Clerks. Sort of like a Guy Ritchie sort of feel? In a way, yeah. yeah. Guy Ritchie meets uh, Kevin Smith. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Whoa, wow. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. a good combination there. And then I think, funny enough, I think not to uh, big it up too much, but I would love it to be, you know, something like Hot Fuzz. In essence, like mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz. So it is very dark, but very funny. And, well, I mean, I'm biased because I wrote it. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should have read it and gone, yeah, it is actually. Uh, but no, <laughs> uh, something like that. And, um, you know, that's... that's the, if someone would say to me right now, I've seen, your, I've seen your Batman film. You can do something in five minutes. How about I give you something that's 105 minutes? And I'd be like, I got a script. Here you go. Right. That would so, be so the idea. So that's ready to go then. That is ready to go. And if, you know, someone was to see any of the work that I've done now or any of the, the well, with Living in Crime Alley which I think will be a talking point, uh, talking point. Um, yeah I think it's going to leave a mark and I think when someone comes to me next and they say what is the next thing as you've just said now I've got two things on the go I've got this one and I've got this one and I've got others as well I just I keep working the problem that I have since um, uh, late um, late last year is I've become a workaholic so I've just been constantly working. And part of that is because, you know, I've got something like Living in Crime Alley to work on and then work on other things and then just realize, oh, I'm learning so much. Because the thing, big thing about this is I've learned so much. You want to put those skills to use in something else. Exactly. And I've learned so much with this as well, not just about costumes, about acting, about production design. I mean, the fact that I had to uh, learn how to direct an actor who can't turn his head, his head is... An amazing achievement in that regard. But then there's also directing an 11-year-old girl who um, has to fully believe what she's seeing in front of her. And again, that was also an important moment as well. As I was saying before about Vincent believing in it, but the fact that an 11-year-old girl has to believe it. There was an amazing moment actually on one point where so uh, one of the crew members had brought their daughter on set and um, uh, all you heard at one point was just this, this lovely... And we couldn't, we couldn't, Lapping, yeah. yeah, and we couldn't hear where it was coming from. We thought it was a sound issue or something like coming from, and it was the little girl. It was the, the, the crew member's daughter clapping to seeing Batman. I just thought, that's what it's all about. Yeah. That right there is what it's all about. It's, you know, because they say that, you know, these heroes have an impact on our society and everything else, and they really do. And that's why, in fact, if anything, Scorsese, that's why. Yeah these movies are cinema that's why you do it that's why you do it yeah i think that's a perfect place to end it right there Mm. rob thank you so much for coming into the studio all the best on living in crime money i can't wait to watch the finished product and all these other upcoming amazing projects again all the best to you thank you for coming down thank you it's been a pleasure that's not a problem for the lovely folks out there where can they find you online social media all that jazz so you can find me on uh, instagram which is rob ailing uh and on twitter which is uh, rob ailing film and then there's my website uh which is rob and uh yeah um for more information on living in crime alley it's uh, facebook living in crime alley uh, batman fan film and then there's uh twitter uh which is l-i-c-a underscore bat 
fan film or bat film. I can't remember exactly. But Type yeah, both. you'll you'll <laughs> find it under the hashtag Living in Crime Alley. That's actually the best way of putting it. Hashtag, hashtag living, living in, in Crime, crime Alley. Alley. Yeah. And do we have an estimated dates, release dates? I'm hoping early December. And I don't want to jinx it too much, so touch wood. A very limited, hopefully, still working on it, cinema. Wow. Cinema uh, experience. So well, you better let me know about that. Oh yeah, no, definitely <laughs> no. Your your name is already on the guest so, list because I'm, I'm getting on that. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for Rob for coming in, guys. Follow him Twitter on Instagram, all these great social media. Support the fan film. Support all his upcoming films, and also support us on Film Seven. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Film Seven Podcast, and you can also find me, Jake at Sweaty Jake on Twitter and Instagram. But until the next chit chat, guys, see you later.